Hi there, and welcome to the Creative Operations Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Groom, and in this podcast, we'll be talking with creative operations leaders in all kinds of industries, from franchising to finance, from healthcare to hospitality and beyond. We'll be looking to uncover best practices and to see trends that are coming to help you keep your creative operations on brand and on budget at the same time. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Creative Operations Podcast 2.0. I'm your host, Kevin Groom, and I'm really pleased today to be with Paul Grunsfeld. Paul is the Vice President of Marketing of Select Dental Management. Select has offices, dental practices in eight states around the country, dozens of practices, in fact. So wanted to dive in a little bit to your philosophy around the growth of dental practices, especially with the notion that as Select Dental is applying a philosophy to really dozens upon dozens of independent practitioners and professionals. So I wanted to focus in on how on earth do you scale an approach across that many folks and provide good care to those folks as they provide good care to those hundreds of thousands of patients that they're serving every day. How does that work for you guys? Sure. It's a, it's a great question, Kevin, and, and, I'll, and I'll answer it in two parts. So the first thing that I'm thinking of in my current role, whether it's, it's paid advertising or internal communications, is I need essentially two different things. One, it needs to be what I call PRS. I'm a guitar guy, so I like, a, I like the PRS acronym, but it, it, predictable, replicable, scalable. I think we'll talk a little later about the one-off requests we get, and those are great, and a lot of times they can be impactful, but when we talk about an organization like ours, where certainly we've gone through a large period of growth via M&A, but we're also really good at standardizing and driving same-store growth. So the way we do that is by making sure what we're doing is PRS, is predictable, irreparable, and scalable. The other thing that I think we do a little differently at our organization is that we're a dental partnership organization. So what that means is instead of doctors selling us their entire practice and then retiring, that's not really our model. We partner with dentists to provide the administrative support and services they need so they can focus on clinical dentistry. So it's very important to me that before I do any sort of initiative, especially if it involves how we message the patients or the patient interaction, or if it's disruptive to our front desk, that collaboration and that buy-in is critical to the success for our practices. Now, one of the other areas where my philosophy differs just a little bit is that I tend not to be paid advertising first. So there is a little bit of a misconception in this industry that all same-store growth has to happen from new patient growth, right? And there's a lot of truth to that. To have a healthy dental practice, you need to have a healthy flow of new patients. But for me, what I really look at, and one of the things I found the most scalable, is just looking at the patient journey. The American Dental Association did a great study, I believe in 2017, that really dug into the motivators or demotivators of why people were just not going to the dentist. And it was three things. It was fear, cost, convenience. And what I have found is if you approach patient communications and patient messaging and the patient journey, how does your website reflect answering those questions to address fear, cost, convenience? When you call the practice, you have someone helpful picking up the phone on the other end. She's going to get past the question, do you accept my insurance or not? And really get down to the chief complaint, why the patient is calling. 
And then the biggest thing and where I think I can impact the most change for our practices is keeping our patients in regular recare. When we don't lose patients out the back door, we reduce our reliance on the front end paid advertising, and we're making sure we're getting our patients the care they need, which is the most important thing. No one wants to go to the dentist. I don't care what people say. It's really challenging the public perception of it. But when I look at the practices that we have, we see over 100,000 patients a year. We average 4.9 stars on Google. That's the story we want, we want to tell. It's not, hey, new patient examine x-rays for $70. It's we have tens of thousands of reviews that we work really hard on our patient care and our patient journey and patient satisfaction to make sure we are generating those promoters and those patient referrals. So that sounds like a real science. And I love some of the stats. When you talk about your 4.9 Google review rating for all number and apply it to the benefit, to the recare benefit of an individual practice at the local level, is that done through their own individual website or do you guys have a network of websites? How does that work? So for us, we're unique in that each of our practices are their own unique brands, right? So they all have their own web properties. When I joined Select in 2021, that to me was the single largest opportunity as I looked at what yeah. some of our website conversion rates are and, and generally what the search directory ecosystem looked like. And I said, this is really messy. I think we could spend a lot of money on advertising and drive a lot of leads, but if our websites are converting at 5% versus 10 or 12%, we're missing a lot of opportunities. So sure. that's one of the things where, to your point, every website, largely custom, we use a template with an agency that we've used for many of them and they understand best practices. And from a content generation perspective, they know what I'm looking for. And that's where we succeed. We find the best practices and we say 95% of this is going to be the same for everybody. But the part that expresses your practice, the part that's important to the patient, that's what we customize. So can we standardize the system, but customize the messaging? And we're actually at a point right now where we're getting to scale out a new standardized patient relationship management system across all of our practices. And mm -hmm. it's the exact same methodology, Kevin. For me, it provides enterprise level control over things like the cadence of reminders. And I'm able to send an email from once to all 38, all 38 practices patients. But the important part is that my practices will go in. They'll tell you what they want to see in the messages. Some practices like saying, hey, this is Paul from Dr. Kevin's office. Other ones, it's, hey, this is the practice of Dr. Groom, whatever it is, right? It's important for the practices to be able to maintain that voice and the successful practice culture that they've built. And we let them, and certainly I try to add value where I can, but we let them try and run with that on how they message their patients. But the why and the methodology and the actual like scalability of the platform itself, that's where Select adds a ton of value to our practices is being able to add these successful scalable systems. Yeah, I can imagine that there's a range of practices where folks are like, hey, my, my website is talking about a practice I've run for decades and it hasn't changed in years. And frankly, the friendly people at the front desk are the friendly people you're going to see today, just like you saw them years ago. But then other places, you've got these much more aggressive kind of, or savvy, maybe the, what might be a better word for it, but folks who are really trying to leverage every last little bit of what the web can do and connections to insurance. How do you span that range? Of, uh, of dental practice needs when really it's the, the individual dentist is still the boss at the end of the day, yeah? Sure. So uh, I'm fortunate to have done a pretty good job uh, documenting the various things that I've done throughout my career in dentistry. I've been in dentistry for about six years now. And 
a lot of the best practices scale pretty well, and I could point to very deliberate success. But here's the thing. We're never going to get perfect. That's why whenever I refer to it, it's the leak-resistant funnel. It's not a leak-proof funnel. Yeah, if you sure. don't update your website because of XYZ, if it's hitting minimum thresholds, fine. But what I'm going to tell you is we're going to work really hard with your front desk on making sure that we are appointing the opportunities that come through. And we're going to work really hard with your treatment team and your treatment coordinator and just with the technology we have to make sure that we're getting patients back in the door and we retain them. So much too, Kevin, marketing is just a very small percentage of a practice of success. The fact of the matter is these sorts of collaborations and systems, especially when they come from our operations and clinical team, that's really what helps drive it. I help drive the education and the messaging around it, but we're really fortunate that along with collaborating with our field, we have a really strong operations team that's able to help also get buy-in. It's way easier for me to make sure people are coming back for their hygiene appointments when the hygienists are just so bought into the programs that we have and are really providing these five-star level of care. I take very little credit for the visit growth that we're experiencing right now. I'm glad I'm able to help and contribute, but truly it's the people in the practices and the programs that we're providing to them that are allowing our organization to grow as it is. It's really interesting, too, that you say that, because just in the run-up, um, folks, uh, uh, Paul and I were talking, and you, you mentioned a stat. I'd love to go back and revisit it, which is the comparison of cost between new patient acquisition, which right. is get, getting somebody to the dentist is probably as hard as getting someone to change their bank account, which they used to say is the hardest job in marketing. <laughs> so the cost of new customer acquisition, new patient acquisition versus this notion you call patient reactivation and recare. When you think about it, do the traditional forms of advertising and marketing really apply as much to the recare kind of story, or can you really use digital to lower cost, increase frequency of communication, increase personalization, and, and achieve better effects? Is that part of what's going on here? Yeah. So we have to we have to keep in mind too that we are limited because of, of being in healthcare with some of the technology that we can use. So in terms of using like patient lists for custom Facebook campaigns to yeah. re-message our patients that way, that's not something we're comfortable doing. Certainly I can email them, we can do text campaigns with our own technology, but truly if you're talking about paid advertising, that's really more on the front end. And we leverage paid advertising a lot to drive that initial visit growth, especially if we're adding a provider or in many cases we've invested the capital to physically expand the practice and add more chairs, add more operatories. In that case, we'll rely on advertising. And overwhelmingly for us, it's Google ads, right? Because mm -hmm. it's ERS, like they give you good tools to be able to predict it. It's there's stuff working in one practice, generally speaking, some of that will transfer well to another practice. And it's scalable because now that we've been building these things, we can deploy new campaigns relatively easily. With more traditional advertising, television, direct mail, it's more transactional for me. That's one of those areas where we really have to take a look at the market. We have some markets where we're in, where, you know, the best way to reach patients at scale is, is just an every door direct mail piece, because maybe the Google ads market is hyper competitive. We have, we have one office that's in the suburbs of Boston that was paying over $30 a click for Invisalign. It's, yeah. it's super competitive in some of these practices, but yeah. I can get an every door direct mail piece in for under 30 cents and talk about their new doctor and the promotions that they were writing at the time. So certainly we use those tools in the toolkit. What I have found though 
is that it costs me 12 to 15 times more to acquire a new patient than it does to reactivate an existing patient. And then when you look at the ROI over the following 12 months, it's, at, it's seven times more with an existing patient than it is with a new patient because you no longer have to pay that wild customer acquisition cost. And what we found, in fact, in all of my organizations through revenue analysis is that the revenue difference between a patient year one and year two is not very different and year two and year three is not very different. It really doesn't tend to drop off significantly until years four and five. And even then, even when it drops off, it's still more profitable for me to retain and keep that patient in regular recare than to go out and get another general dentistry patient. Hmm. The other thing though, Kevin, that we leverage traditional advertising for, and it's one of the ways that we're able to drive revenue growth is with specialty. So we don't do a ton of advertising around specialty in terms of paid advertising, but boy, we're pretty good at leveraging our existing patient base. So the model that we're working on scaling now is having traveling specialists that will attend an office two to four times a month, possibly more periodontists to do implants, dentists to do, to do root canals and such, oral surgeons, et cetera. And the marketing that we do for that and how it's scalable is just our communications plan for how we announce the practices that we have specialists coming. We arm the front desk with appropriate language to help convert both new and existing patients. And then we'll typically do just some SEO around the specialty service to see if we can get any ancillary patients that way as well. That's really interesting. So in a way, we often think of filling the calendar for an individual practice. You're filling the calendar across a geographic range where you've really got this specialist on, on tour, which is a nice way to really fill the bucket in, in two different ways. That's a, that must be a great value add, I would think, for a, a general practitioner who doesn't have that specialist. What it does too, and again, I get to take credit for, is that when we provide multiple services, I hate saying under one roof, it makes me sound like a used car dealership or something, but when we provide multiple specialties in one practice, we are driving so much more patient loyalty and trust. We haven't been able to quantify it, but I would bet my paycheck that there is a direct correlation between the comprehensiveness of care provided in the practice and the percentage of new patients they get from patient referrals. We are providing our patients with a better experience, a more comprehensive experience, a true continuity of care but because the two docs will sit and talk with each other. And we haven't been doing this for many months, but so far the outlooks are very promising. The outcomes for the patients are promising. And we're really excited about how we can scale that moving forward. And what's great about it too is, again, we have this built-in new patient funnel for them because all of our practices have thousands of active patients that we can dig into that will typically need some of these services over their lifetime. And now we can provide them in the practice and environment and with the staff that they've become comfortable with. It's so funny that you bring that up because so often the marketing department is, is of course challenged with acquisition of customers, but recruitment is something they're either called into or directly responsible for. And it feels to me like in your particular area, the recruitment of professionals into the practices and the recruitment of, of customers at the same time, that's a lot to cover across 38 operations. We have a really amazing talent acquisition team, our head talent acquisition, as well as our head of HR. They, they are exceptional at bringing me in when they think I can add value. And sometimes yeah, I yeah, can yeah. and sometimes I can't. But I love collaborating with that team. They are 
just so good at doing what they do and building relationships. And again, makes my job easy because I can point to these practices with nice websites that have multiple specialties that have 4.9 star reviews. It makes my job so much easier when we're hiring the right teams and the right clinicians or partnering with the right clinicians and we're building relationships with our existing patients. And it just makes the new patient acquisition funnel that much easier. Let me follow up on that, the notion of the websites too, because I'm still fascinated by that. So do these guys at the individual practice area, are they managing through you to manage the 5% difference in their websites or are they managing it directly with your resources to get that all done? Because that's a 38 tickets in a given week. It's admittedly, I do not have a great system for this now. What I typically do is I will manage the request and then I see if, so I don't ever go into their content management system. All physical changes are typically made by our vendor partners, which is fine. Yeah. But sometimes the requests are like things where I wouldn't want to necessarily spend external dollars on. Hey, we, a great example, we added a periodontist and we now can do dental implants in our practice. So we'd like a page for dental implants. So I, I tend to write our website content in a, identify the problem identify the solution, talk about the process, make it feel very familiar to the patient. Excuse me, I might use something like jasper.ai to plug in a template that I have for an implant page, adjust it and edit it as needed, but I can jam out a, a 750 word service page in about 30 minutes at this point. And then I'll send it over to our partners. And we don't, we get a lot of the smaller changes. Hey, we had a doctor change or whatever. Yep, no problem. Hey, here's your person. And then they'll fulfill the ticket in a couple of days. But I like being able to add value on the content side. I think it's one area that medical practices in general can do a better job with, especially in the preventive yeah. things. I'm a really big proponent of a, a future of medicine where there's more value-based care. And I think a lot of that comes from making sure people understand why preventative and diagnostic care is so important. So one of the things that we're working on right now is really building out the hygiene pages on many of our websites. Now, what you'll find is that new patients are typically not looking for that information. With the two reasons that are the two or three reasons that people even contact a dentist, you either need a new dentist because you want to keep your teeth clean and healthy. You're in pain or discomfort and you need to have some restorative work done, or you're looking for a second opinion, which is also service specific. So we tend to find that the more popular pages on our website are service-specific pages, not hygiene, but restorative or cosmetic, and also the Meet the Team pages. So I have to find a way to bridge that mm. gap and make sure that people are understanding and that we're providing them the right information that says it really is important to go to your dentist for cleanings at least twice a year to make sure you're keeping your gums healthy so you could avoid gum disease and potential bone loss or tooth loss down, down the way. So... That education piece, that's something that we've identified as an opportunity and we'd like to begin to scale. And I think it's a real opportunity on our websites as we touch all of these patients to do our part in educating our patients for overall health. I got you. And it sounds to me, just to turn to the creative operations aspect of this and lead you toward that, uh, that roundtable question we, we were talking about before. Who, Try to take a strategic view, even of stuff that's surfacing from the individual practices, so that you're solving the problem once and then you're really utilizing that across the entire network to the extent that you can. And so what I sense from this is the application of a proven strategy with a set of systems and partners that help you to do that at scale. 
So here's the question I wanted to lead up to. That 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 thing's starting to operate or is operating like a well-oiled machine. All of a sudden, someone throws a, someone throws a wrench in the works. I don't know what it might be in the dental practice. It might be, oh, my gosh, the lights went out. And we're going to have to close the office for two days. Or we've got an overflow of folks who need emergency services, and we have to cancel some appointments, whatever it might be. Talk to me a little bit about how that times 38 is a big load. How do you deal with, and what's the big, what's your reaction to those kind of one-off last-minute emergency requests? Better, I will tell you, it's better than it was over the last several years. I've gotten, you know what I think the challenge that I used to have a lot, Kevin, is I used to internalize all these challenges and make other people emergencies my emergencies, right? And I think what I've come to realize especially as a team of one with all of these practices is a couple of things. One, we have an incredible regional leadership team that does a lot of blocking and tasking for me. So if it's something like they, they can help me prioritize. So typically what will happen is if a request comes in from the practice, I have a list of all the requests that I'm working on and I'll go to the regional leader or a director of operations or CEO and say, this seems pretty important. Here's what I have on my list. Can you help me reprioritize? They're so good at doing that. And I can honestly say too, that generally speaking, and this is something that my wife says all the time, it's PR, it's not ER, right? There's very few marketing emergencies that are truly going to affect patient outcomes. So typically if there's something critical, hey, our patient forms aren't working, our reminders aren't sending, our confirmations aren't sending, our website's down, critical. It's affecting patient care. We got to fix that right away. But if it's just something that is important to them, but maybe not urgent, hey, we're providing Invisalign now and it needs to get on our website, no problem. As long as I set reasonable expectations, and that's something that I've gotten better at over the years, not trying to do everything same day. But I, yeah. I'm happy to say to someone, I have a couple other things on my plate. I can get to it this week. Let me send you a draft in a few days. And that tends to be fine. But that's typically how I manage it. The other thing that I will say is that Kevin, I am not a creative guy from a visual creativity standpoint. I am Microsoft Paint is about as best as I can. <laughs> I am so fortunate to have worked with two specifically freelance designers that are just so tuned in to what I'm looking for. Even though I don't know the proper terminology or how to describe things, I'm like, hey, can we turn this text and make it stay? And they're like, it's great. So the and then the same thing goes too with Google ads I, and search optimization. I have one guy that I've worked with off and on, but have kept in close contact with for the last six years, my entire time in dentistry. And the biggest thing that makes me successful, I think what, it com what comes down to all of this is having the right people to collaborate with and then documenting the things that work have really allowed us to have the success that we've had in our marketing department with a relatively small team. That's awesome. And I love, absolutely love, it's PR, not ER. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, we're, we're going to put that in quotes for but So that's a great one. And let me just real quick summarize, guys. So what we've really seen here is proven system, right? A proven philosophy about retention as opposed to the very expensive acquisition kind of obsession that we see. And then uh, underneath it all, the right team that you can turn to. And that team doesn't have to be large. That team can actually be a superpower in and of itself so that you can balance. Oh, and one last thing, leadership that knows how to prioritize. Those 
feel to me the right set of answers for scale and a practice at the level you guys have hit. So, Paul, thanks for taking the time with us today. This has been great. So you guys out there in the audience, please stay tuned with us for the next episode of the Creative Operations Podcast 2.0. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.